This is Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of our News and Views program. Today, it's gonna be a great show for you. We're starting a new segment called Transit Tech, and Tris is gonna be interviewing Farouk Mansouri, who is the lead data scientist here at Trapeze, and he talks about how machine learning and um, all the latest and greatest uh, intelligence that we are putting into transportation technology can be used. Today, we're gonna talk about how it can be used. Um, Artificial intelligence and machine learning can be used basically to help you improve your on-time performance. I think you'll find that very interesting and kind of open your eyes to some ways things like this can be used. We'll do that right after our uh, headline news and then a look at the future of public transportation. The big news now at the uh, coming into the end of July is that as Americans are starting to come out of the COVID pandemic, they are returning to work, shopping, visiting friends, and they're returning to transit. As the Federal Transit Administration recently reported last week, in some communities, transit ridership is up more than 80% over early 2020 pre-pandemic levels. FTA's Administrator Nuria Fernandez says that's why FTA is facilitating a national conversation about the ways transit agencies are attracting riders and growing new ridership here in the United States. FTA's America's Open and Transit's Open Initiative, she says, is engaging our transit partners through listening sessions and a national transit renewal summit to share best practices and work together to renew ridership across America. Sounds good to me. Some of the cities that have seen increases lately include Oklahoma City that saw 81% of riders on its Embark bus system compared with May of 2019 levels. In Richmond, Virginia, they also saw 80% of May 2019 riders on their Greater Richmond Transit Company services. And our friend and CEO of GRTC, Julie Tim, said during COVID, GRTC developed a laser focus to protect our employees' health and jobs, realign our resources to critical transit connections for our region's essential workforce, and protect the physical and economic health and well-being of our staff and, and riders. Miami-Dade Florida has reached almost 70% of its 2019 ridership. Carlos Cruz Casas, who is DTPW Assistant Director, said public transportation agencies across the country cut services at the beginning of Safer at Home orders, and Miami-Dade was no exception. But unlike many agencies, soon after, he says, we restored transit service to pre-pandemic levels on most routes and even added service to go above what we provided before the pandemic. And then we take a look at our friend Robbie Mackinnon, the CEO of Kansas City Area Transit Authority in Kansas City, Missouri. They've rebounded to nearly 70% of their ridership. Robbie says passionately, we're not going to run away from people who need us most. We're going to run toward them. And he said the agency's zero fare program has been very popular. Quote, by focusing on social equity and the four pillars of public transit, jobs, education, healthcare, and housing, Ride KC is able to maximize our ridership. So it's good news that transit ridership is going up around the country. One of the transit agencies in the center of the country now has uh, selected um, Bakara Malden, our friend and former guest here on the show, as the new chief of staff for the Memphis Area Transportation Authority. In this position, Malden will provide strategic leadership and the framework to support day-to-day operations, project management, and execution of strategic initiatives to ensure the continued growth and efficiency of the organization. Matta CEO and friend Gary Rosenfeld said, Bakara Malden brings a wealth of experience and unique perspective to further advance our strategic priorities, goals, and initiatives. Her leadership and experience is invaluable as our organization works to expand high quality, efficient service to the community. 
Those of you who have listened to the program know Malden is a senior executive with 16 years of diverse experience in public transit administration, municipal government. She says, I'm excited about the opportunity to join such a dynamic organization to support internal and external initiatives that will help improve the community's access to safe, efficient, and reliable transit operations. Congratulations to the city of Memphis for picking up such a tremendous leader to help lead the transit agency there. And finally, in the private sector side of things, a big announcement was made this week that EQT, EQT infrastructure has closed on the sale of First Student and First Transit from First Group. The $4.6 billion deal brings together North America's providers in school and public transportation with one of the world's larger infrastructure investors. First Student and First Transit operations will continue as usual and uninterrupted with the same local teams and leadership. This, this EQT firm is the global private equity firm and blue chip infrastructure investor. They took a long-term view to look beyond the immediate effects of the pandemic and has deployed $11 billion in equity in North America since 2012. So they say they're very excited about it. And our friend First Transit President Brad Thomas said of First Student, I'm um, sorry, First Transit, we are a stronger organization with an established and resilient platform and team that continue to position us for sustainable success over time. EQT infrastructure will enable us to accelerate this growth. Through it all, our communities and customers will remain at the heart of everything we do, said Brad Thomas. We'll continue to invest in new opportunities and technologies that set the highest standards. So First Transit now being separated from First Group, which was a British company, and now part of this EQT firm here in the United States, North America. That's it for this edition of Headline News for Transit Unplugged News and Views. Now stay tuned for our Transit Tech segment. Hi, this is Tris, and welcome to the inaugural Transit Tech segment here on Transit Unplugged News and Views. And I'm talking to Dr. Farouk Mansouri, who's the head of our data science team at Trapeze. And we're going to talk about how machine learning and AI can help transit agencies right away. And we're going to start with on-time performance and how weather and traffic can be modeled to predict on-time performance. So Farouk, how is this even possible? Tell us about this. Uh, yes, uh, uh, thank you, Tris, for bringing such an important topic up. Uh, I think uh, on-time performance is one of the most important KPIs for, for the transit agencies as they want to be able to provide the best service. Now, um, as you can imagine, the bus movement through the route is not going to be the same every day. We schedule it to be uh, accurate, but then there are lots of different factors that affect how, how the bus uh, travels through the route, you know, as you mentioned, there's going to be traffic, there's going to be weather patterns. Uh, uh, there are a lot of in different inputs. Even the number of passengers on the bus will affect how fast the bus moves through the route because arriving at the stop, it will take time for them to get off and on the bus. Now, uh, this is hard to do, uh, to, 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 to really um, just uh, look at the data and understand. So we use machine learning to model these uh, cause and effect and be able to explain that back to the agency so they can plan better and they can uh, build resilience and uh, understand how they can improve their on-time performance. How does, it, how, do, how does weather specifically affect on-time performance? Um, based on some of the exploration we have done, there is an effect 
Um, for example, uh, we have seen that on rainy days, the variability of uh, dwell time, which is the time that uh, the bus stays at a stop, it, it becomes much larger. So it becomes much more uncertain. Um, it, it varies diff between uh, different stops and different routes. And we have seen uh, some changes in the, the, the travel time on snowy days, on rainy days. And, and this, this pattern is very different across even a city and a transit agency. And we cannot really you know, set a rule and say, okay, this is the rule. This is how uh, weather affects everything. We can specifically model individual stops, individual um, routes and segments in the routes to be able to uh, explain that back to the agencies. You can model what happens when the when there when there's rain. So what can transit agencies do about it? They know that okay, we it, it buses slow down, the on time performance can drop during rainy weather. What what have you found from the models that can help transit agencies? Do? Is it a communications thing, or can they adjust schedules? What, what have you What have you found? There, there are multiple ways that uh, this can be useful to the agencies. Uh, beside them uh, being able to factor that into their planning uh, and build more resilient planning uh, schedules, more resilient schedules, um, there are also some some phenomenon that happen in these uh, highly variable scenarios. For example, bus bunching is a, is a big issue. It's, it's still an open problem. And um, that's when happens when, when uh, buses uh, have very variable travel times. And we want to be able to uh, use this information and these models to mitigate such, uh, such scenarios. Um, and I think that would be extremely valuable for, for the customers. And it all comes down to customer satisfaction, right? We, we were, I was looking at some, um, you know, some data about and some examples where people, and I've experienced this myself taking the bus, that you get really annoyed when a bus that's supposed to arrive at 8.30, sometimes is a little early, which is terrible, especially if you have a big headway. The bus that, if you heard, just went right by, the headways and the bus that's on my street are half an hour. And if it comes early and I miss it, that's really bad. So are these the models that you've been using to work with traffic and weather and on-time performance, are they helping agencies improve these, you know, this variability so people feel just more confident and rely, you know, the, the bus is reliable. It's going to show up at 8.30 you know, no more than a minute or two early or, and, you know, no more than a few minutes late. Is, is that something the models have been helping agencies do? Uh, yes. Yeah, so there are multiple levels that these uh, can be helpful in avoiding scenarios like the one you just explained. Uh, beside the uh, planning and scheduling components of it, building, uh, it being building better schedules and, uh, avoiding certain uh, undesired effects like bus punching. Uh, these models are also enabled in real time. So you can actually get the bus position currently and be able to predict when it's going to arrive in the upcoming stops. And that information can be uh, communicated back to the, to the riders and they have a real time 
a prediction in their hand, maybe through their smartphones, and they're able to to see exactly when the bus is going to arrive. And this will be adaptive. So on a rainy day, they know how much extra time the bus is going to take to arrive to their stop. So it's going to be late or or early. So there's removing uncertainty is going to help everybody. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, as a transit rider, uncertainty is terrible. And I've uh, here in the Metro Vancouver area, TransLink has a next bus thing. And it's interesting comparing an app with what the, the, the overhead sign says at the stop that says the next bus is going to be there in five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So what you're saying is you agencies can use these data models that have been developed to make that next bus time even more accurate and make it even more adaptive in real time so passengers really know when something is going to arrive. Yes, based on our um, uh, testings, we have seen that there's a huge improvement in uh, in these predictions. So we can incorporate weather data, traffic data. Um, it depends on the city, but there can be other sources of information. For example, how long did it take for the last bus to pass through the uh, the route? These informations will will give you very accurate predictions of how the bus traveled and enabling you to give very, very accurate information on the stop, either through the app or those displays at the stops for, for the riders. And hopefully that would make all the riders happy. Yeah, yeah, it would make me happy. But Farouk, this has been great. And I hope uh, folks listening can, you know, really spark some ideas like, wow, all right, if we if we start working with this, maybe we can help our customers. And uh, this has been the first the inaugural segment of Transit Tech with my guest, Dr. Farouk Mansouri, who's the lead data scientist at Trapeze. And we're talking about, and we talked about how AI and machine learning can help transit agencies predict on-time performance and when that bus is actually gonna get to the stop. Hi, this is Mike Bismar, Regional Sales Director for Terra, and this is Mike's Minute where we talk about leadership, mentorship, and kindness with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. As our industry continues to evolve with technology and we look at the next evolution of machine learning and artificial intelligence, it reminds me to think about the great leaders of our industry that have allowed us to get to where we are today. Those that were willing to take chances and test new technology, share with their peers. Without them, there would be many advancements we would not be benefiting from today. When we look at the various conferences and panels that we attend or participate in throughout the year, there are no shortage of agencies always in the midst of testing new technology, participating in ongoing pilots, and speaking about their findings. Both successes and pain points, and always excited to pass on their knowledge for the future success of both agencies and the industry as a whole. Those willing early adopters take on a leadership role that helps vendors, manufacturers, and transit as a whole. This also aligns directly with mentorship and kindness, with their willingness to learn, teach, share, and have the patience to understand that organizational change will not always come without challenges. Thanks for your leadership, and thanks in advance to all those that continue to be excited about the next big thing. Have a great week. Kindness is cool. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being with us today on Transit Unplugged News and Views. Now on to the future of public transportation segment. Many transit systems across the world now are recovering from COVID in their cities, and they're now starting to allow people back into the buildings and starting to have on-site meetings. 
One recent post that I put on LinkedIn went viral with over 30,000 hits or views around the world. And it was about how to have effective meetings now that we're back into meeting in person and getting away from all Zoom meetings. It made me think that I'd like to share with you a chapter from my book, Full Throttle. It was my first book, Full Throttle, Living Life to the Max with No Regrets. It's stories from 10 CEOs about how we made it to the top and decisions we had to make. It's available on Amazon. And there's two chapters in the book that I wrote all about meetings because I believe meetings are essential in order to get people together, give them information, motivate them, and uh, help them move out with an agenda for success in any organization. I've been a part of many organizations and too many meetings where that simply was not the case. Let me read to you from my chapter four called GoGo, Utilizing Meetings to Manage in my book, Full Throttle. Here we go. Is your job one, which is go-go all the time, from one meeting to the next without a break most days? That's the way mine was as the CEO of the Maryland Transit Administration in Baltimore and when I served as Charles County Administrator. Sometimes I look back and wish I had held less meetings and spent more time enjoying these positions. But when I was in them, I just felt it was necessary to conduct business that way. I'm a people person and believe in leading from the front and not from behind my desk, reviewing spreadsheets and financials and sending emails, although there is a time for that too. So for reference, at Charles County as county administrator, I oversaw over 1,000 employees divided into about a dozen departments. Plus, we helped fund numerous semi-independent agencies. I had a $300 million operating budget plus about a $200 million capital budget for about a half a billion dollars total. At the MTA, I had 3,300 employees working with me, along with about 2,000 contractual employees and contractors divided into many departments and divisions, an $800 million operating budget, along with about a $400 million capital budget for a total of about $1.2 billion annual budget. Now, here's the process I used and I followed used, uh, using meetings to help manage these large institutions while serving in these positions. Our process for staff was that they would request a meeting through my executive assistant, and she was empowered to ask them detailed questions about why the meeting was necessary and negotiate how long and when the meeting will be held. She might also ask them if this could be handled in an email or phone call. After she was convinced the meeting was necessary, she would add a meeting request to my Outlook online calendar, or she might actually discuss it with me further at the end of the day when I signed documents and discussed any outstanding issues. I normally took 20 to 30 minutes at the end of each workday when I was in the office to do so. Also, with the use of my smartphone, the calendar notices popped up wherever I was and I could review and approve or decline them. I also had specific items I wanted on the calendar notice, including who would be in the meeting and what, if any, questions they needed answered and the topic or topics proposed to be discussed at the meeting. This way I could prepare if I needed to or invite others who may be necessary. I also was very focused on ensuring that if the meeting was off-site, meaning not at my office, that the exact location was included on the calendar notice, including room numbers, parking instructions, et cetera. This was necessary as I usually drove myself places and would then just be able to tap the calendar notice address to put it into my GPS map software app on my smartphone for directions. With this info, I could be efficient with my time by also seeing exactly where to park, what room to go to in the building, the name and phone number of the receptionist or the on-site contact person, so I could know who to ask for when I arrived or call if needed. If I had my chief of staff or other staff member with me, they would track this info. But often, as I mentioned, it was just me and having it at the tip of my fingers on my phone was invaluable. Now in these CEO positions, I used regular monthly meetings with top staff of each main department 
as my way of learning what's really happening with them and their department, and to give direction or respond to questions they may have. Knowing they had FaceTime with me at least once a month gave these subordinates comfort in knowing that they could wait until their meeting with me to explain in detail their situation and request a response. These are for non-emergency type decisions. These regular monthly meetings took up a lot of my time as I normally were at least one to two hour meetings with up to a dozen different departments each month. But I felt they were useful and a useful way to spend my time as it kept me abreast of all developments and I was able to impart encouragement, training, and direction two or three levels down in the organization. I've always felt that over-communication with key management was preferable to the usual lack of communication felt by staff in many large companies and agencies. Gatekeeping is what that's called. I like to include not just the top management, but also the second and also often third levels of leadership in these monthly or quarterly meetings. I find that giving them personal face time with me as the CEO helps to motivate, inform, and inspire them and ensures they are getting the exact message I want them to hear, unfiltered by others or with communication lapses that would occur if they only heard my thoughts secondhand. I also often held quarterly meetings with all key management of the agency in the county jobs and annual meetings with all management at the MTA, which was hundreds of people. At the county quarterly all hands on deck meetings, I would highlight achievements from the previous quarter and have the elected officials speak, sharing their vision as well briefly. We'd also talk about major upcoming projects or events, and I would always spend at least 20 minutes with some type of management or leadership training. Our leaders are always on the go and often don't take time to sharpen their saw in the old Stephen Covey adage. In order to remain sharp and effective, we all need to keep our skills honed and find ways to improve on what we're doing. So I would share a relevant leadership training class with a PowerPoint slide deck and sometimes handouts. I also had a management book club where we all read the same management book and shared insights at our monthly or quarterly meetings. This kept us all improving. And for those who wouldn't read, at least they'd heard the discussions led by their fellow staff members on the topic du jour. For my direct reports, we held weekly staff meetings where they would report progress on major projects, as well as highlight any challenges they needed help with or requests for direction on key issues. I used these meetings also as a time for pollination between my direct reports, and they could ask questions of each other or offer assistance between departments. And I always left time for socialization before, during, or after these meetings. Having my direct reports get to know and like each other was key to a smooth, efficient running operation. I'd often bring donuts and coffee and the like to create a more relaxed environment for these usually morning meetings. At the MTA, I held them on Friday so that the week behind and the week ahead of us could be reviewed. Oftentimes, I would take one or two team members to lunch after our Friday morning meetings for a deeper dive on an issue and to build rapport between top managers and myself. In my county administrator and CEO jobs, I had many large construction or capital projects that were normally overseen by our engineering or public works departments on behalf of operating divisions. These weekly top staff meetings were not the time and place for these detailed reports on those with Q&A. So for detailed reports on capital projects, we held project status meetings monthly or quarterly. I believe meetings as are a place to share and shine. One thing I made sure of at my meetings was that the participants all had a chance to share and shine. No one likes to come and listen to someone drone on and on at meetings about what they want to share and not allow any, everyone else to do the same. I have been part of such meetings and I can tell you they're misery. However, people look forward to meetings where they get the opportunity, even if only briefly, to share their ideas, their goals and project updates. Then I always ask them to give us at least one challenge and one victory from the previous week. This allows them to open up and be vulnerable, along with possibly getting help from their other teammates or me. Then they also get to brag on their teams about a win. 
I think this is key to making the meetings fun and something participants can look forward to. Wrap up. In order for a meeting to be productive and useful as a management tool, I believe you need to have everyone leave with clear direction. Unfortunately, too many leaders simply have report sessions as their staff meetings, where members bring their regular statistical reports and updates and then leave. I'd say, what good is this? Stats can be shared by email and no meeting needed. In order to have the meeting produce results, there needs to be clear, unambiguous assignments and directions with timelines. So a meeting agenda would have time for everyone if possible to give a brief report, three to five minutes, and ask for decisions or directions on issues for which this was needed. Those could be recorded in minutes along with any timelines for completion. As the leader, I would confirm with each person that they understood what was expected from them next. This would sound something like this, Sean, so based on our conversation, please contact the city deputy mayor and ask if they'll be able to send their public works division chief out next week to meet with you or a maintenance of way chief to review the light rail tracks in the central business district and show them how their snow scrapers and dump trucks are tearing up our tracks during the cleanup from snowstorms. Please also ask them not to dump or push the snow onto our tracks. Let me know by email or phone call if you need my help getting them to respond or to come out on site, unquote. I would look for him to respond in the affirmative and then ask my assistant to record this as a commitment that would be followed up on at the next staff meeting. Giving this direction helps keep momentum going in the organization and keeps everyone on track toward overarching goals of the organization. For us at the MTA, it was providing safe, efficient, and reliable transportation with world-class customer service. So in this go-go world of meeting upon meeting, if you use them well, you're actually making progress by empowering top staff to accomplish goals, providing cover for them if needed, and clear direction so they are confident along with building esprit de corps among your team. So that's my reading, most of the chapter of four. Hopefully you enjoyed it and it gave you some ideas and thoughts about how you can make your meetings more effective now that we're getting back in the office. Thanks for being with us today on Transit Unplugged. And as always, if it's Wednesday, it's Transit Unplugged. Thank you for listening to this week's Transit Unplugged News and Views. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Farouk Mansouri, for his insights into machine learning, AI, and on-time performance. Now, next week, Paul is chatting with Carrie Butler, the head of the Transit Authority of River City. And let me tell you, listening to the interview, there is no trouble in River City with Carrie Butler at the helm. If you like what you hear on Transit Unplugged, please take a moment to rate and review it in your podcast app of choice. This really helps us. We really appreciate it. And it helps other people who haven't discovered Transit Unplugged to find it. So until next week, as always, ride safe and ride happy.